Every day, millions of people get to and from their destinations using the New York City subway system. A lot of them are too rushed to take notice of their surroundings. But not Adam Chang. The freelance art director and designer has been taking the time to uncover the subway's hidden treasures for his New York train project. The New York train project is basically a tribute to the subway mosaics and signage of the New York subway. Hi, I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape. We'll hear more from Adam about his project later in the show. But first, a look at the underground that never was. Joseph Raskin is the author of The Roots Not Taken, a trip through New York City's unbuilt subway system. Joe, thanks for taking the time to talk with me. My pleasure. Glad to be here. What piece of information in this book do you think will surprise most New Yorkers most? Well, just that there are other lines uh, that were supposed to be built and weren't built that everybody seems to focus on the Second Avenue line, not surprisingly, because that's been one that's had the most publicity, but to take a look at what's now the G train, the, the Crosstown line in, in Brooklyn and Queens, and see that it was, gonna, it was originally planned as an elevated line back in the 1800s uh, has, has, has hit a couple of people already. How come a line like that was never built? Political reasons, mostly. It, um, people, even at that point, didn't want an elevated subway line built through the neighborhood. And that was even at a time when underground lines were not a, were not a, uh, a reality. In the days when they first started talking about building the Crosstown line, this is like thir- 30 years before the uh, first subway line was, so even since construction started on that. So it's, it's uh, it goes back quite a long way. And, and the uh, pastors at the church on Manhattan Avenue in Greenpoint didn't want a sub- subway going by their church, elevated line going by the church, because it would keep it would keep the the, uh, the pastors up at night while, while uh, so they couldn't uh, sleep well. They moved it over a few blocks, the plans. The people in the sugar factories on the waterfront didn't want it because it would affect their deliveries. Never mind that it would, it would make it much easier for their employees to get there. But that's in the days when, they, when employees didn't really care that much about their employees. And sometimes uh, there was political reasons in the sense that there was opposition to building uh, building it in one direction or another. And another time, another time uh, more famously in, uh, in the Bronx, with the extension of the concourse line, that you had uh, political groups fighting, neighborhood groups fighting, business groups fighting. They wanted a subway built their way. So it's, it wasn't so much a matter of uh, not my backyard. It was just the opposite. They wanted it in their backyard, but so it so, so other people. So are there tunnels underground here in New York City that were dug out for lines that were never fulfilled? Yes. In Brooklyn, there was uh, they started work on uh, for the IRT on, under the Nevin Street Station to build the line. In effect, that would have been to uh, the, under the Nevin Street what the the Calb Avenue line became to the BMT, the, the major inter, uh, the major changeover point. Both the IRT and the BRT, that was the process of the BMT, were fighting to get to get one line or the other, and it, th- that was set up to give the IRT the Fourth Avenue line. They never got it, so it's it's just sat there for the last hundred years or so. There's actually a platform. There is right? a platform under the outbound platform of the uh, of the Nevin Street Station. It can gain access to it, but the, 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 it's obviously a security issue, so it's not talked about too much, but it's there. There's a little bit of a ramp in Manhattan from the Chamber Street Station on the J train that leads up to where the, uh, where the, uh, to the Brooklyn Bridge. At one point, the plan was to build a connection to the, uh, from, the, uh, from the Nassau Street line, which is the J train, the Z train, onto the Brooklyn Bridge and over the Brooklyn Bridge to connect into the, the Brooklyn Elevator lines. That was stopped. To, to allow for the construction of the municipal building. And then after that, never started, because by that point, the, the Nassau Street line was going to continue further south to connect into the Whitehall Street t- uh, tunnel. Sounds like a whole lot of wasted taxpayer money here. In 
one sense, yeah, and one sense, no, because it, the, it, was, it was actually a smart thing in a certain ways. It was, it was, it was penny foolish, pound wise, because when they went back in to build to build the connections or build the extended lines, they could do it. It could be done without disrupting service too much. As an example, when the Archery Avenue line in Queens was built in the 1980s into the 1990s, that was using track ramps that were built from the Queens Boulevard line. For another line that would have gone down, it was then Van Wyck Boulevard, down towards where Kennedy Airport would be, although never would have gotten that far. And it was just a matter at that point of building switches and expanding further, uh, further south from that, uh, from that. So there was very little disruption on that. At the same time, when, when uh, the connection was built to, uh, between the 63rd Street Tunnel and the Queens Boulevard line, where there, there was no such thing, it was very disruptive and, and uh, had a major impact on service for a number of years. How come there isn't a subway line connecting Staten Island to the outer that was, that was always planned. The 4th Avenue line was actually built to allow for a connection to a, to a line to Staten Island from below the 59th Street station. It was just not thought of at that point that was needed. Later on, there was a work actually started on building uh, in the 1920s to build the tunnel, but that was more for a railroad line that was meant to provide access to a seaport that the city government thought would be would be a great thing to put into into Jamaica Bay, which to me, you think that now, what a, what a environmental disaster that would have been. But that was the main priority. And maybe you get some passenger trains through there. The state legislature passed legislation saying you can only have one or the other. You can't do both. At that point, work stopped. Everybody who worked on the project was, was laid off, and that was the end of it. But you've had tunnel shafts. On the Brooklyn side and the Staten Island side, they've been sitting there since the 1920s. Not across the, not across the bay, obviously, huh. but it's but it's been there. When did the first subway line open in New York City? October of 1904. And where did it go to and from? That was the the, the first part of the uh, the IRT. That was in effect the lower part of the Lexington Avenue line up to Grand Central, which is now the 42nd Street shuttle, and then the upper part of the Seventh Avenue line to home to 145th Street. If you go to the west end of the Times Square station on the uh, 42nd Street show. You can see where that, connect, where that was. And you can also see where the tunnel went from the southernmost track of the shuttle around onto the Lexington Avenue line. You can still make connections to that if, if somebody want, want to. Not, not that they really want to, but uh, the, the passageway that goes from the shuttle station to the Lexington Avenue line station at, at Grand Central is, in effect, part of the tunnel from, from, uh, from, that old, uh, from, from, from the rest of that line. How long did it take them to build that about, stretch? About four years. About four years, but yet it's taking more than 80 years right. to build the 2nd Avenue subway. The process changed quite a lot over the years. At one point, you didn't have to worry about environmental review processes. It was basically just get out of the way, here we come. And it's not that way anymore. There's a picture that I've seen when the IND was first, the 8th Avenue line was first being built, going through Tribeca, what's now Tribeca, from Church Street going up towards 6th Avenue, it looked like the Grand Canyon. They just went in there and tunneled through and then uh, built over it. There you have a lot of little parks and squares and playgrounds along 6th Avenue that were there now because the land was taken to build the subway. So it was more, it's much more complicated now because you have to, you have, there's much more concern over, over, community, over community rights, over uh, real estate, real estate properties, and and uh, and just following all regulations, it was a much simpler pro- and, and not necessarily a good thing. It was a much simpler process in those days, even. Have you had much of an opportunity to explore New York City's abandoned underground yourself? I've led a couple of tours for the Trans Museum in the past, and in, into into a couple of tunnels. There's a couple of in Queen, the couple of, there's one in Queens. It's very that's more known than others. 
third platform at the Roosevelt Danny Jackson, Jackson Heights station, and there's a bit of a tunnel going beyond that. We took people into the, uh, the passageway for the Nassau Street Connection. Joe, thank you so much for coming in. My pleasure. Thanks, thanks for having me. Joe Raskin is the author of The Roots Not Taken, a trip through New York City's unbuilt subway system. He retired last January as an assistant director at the MTA New York City Transit. The New York City subway system is steeped in history. And when it comes to some of that history, the writing is literally on the wall. Freelance art director and designer Adam Chang has been cataloging the signs of subway stations on his website, nytrainproject.com. Adam, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So a lot of us who use the New York City subway system are often too rushed or consumed with our own thoughts to pay attention to our surroundings. But that's where you come in. You're uncovering the subway's hidden treasures for us. Tell us about the New York Train Project. Yeah, so the New York Train Project is basically a tribute to the subway mosaics and signage of the New York subway. People can go on the site and pick a line and see all the signs for that line as if they're riding the train. You could also uh, filter it by borough. For now, we, I just have Manhattan and Brooklyn. But you could see all the lines just in Manhattan or just in Brooklyn. So the signs that you feature on your site, they are renderings of the actual signs, correct? Correct. So for each sign, I rode, I rode the train line, hopped off, photographed the sign, and then at the end of the day, go back home and re-illustrate it. What inspired you to do this? Uh, I was waiting for the train on Bleecker Station one day, and, you know, it's delayed as usual. So sitting around, I just noticed the sign, how different that was compared to all the other ones. And from there, it just sort of enticed me to pay attention more to, like, the various signs at different stations. And then from there, the idea just sort of popped up that it would be really interesting just to sort of have an online gallery or showcase of all these signs so people from all over the world can sort of see what the signs are like in New York City. And, you know, with the everyday rush, a lot of people just overlook this or don't pay attention. But if you just take a couple seconds and glance at it, it's like a pretty interesting and, I think, historic thing. So what's different about that sign at Bleecker? You know, a lot of the ones, if you notice, they're just rectangles. But the one at Bleecker had a very, like, sort of ornate look to it. I think it was one of the very early ones that was created by... Heinz and Lafarge. I think they did a lot of ones like at Bleecker, at Astor Place, that are just really the shape is different compared to the more modern ones that came a little bit after. Uh, those are just a more rectangle. There's definitely like a variety of signs that are out there. Some stations, they don't have signs and it's just on the columns with the street number. How many stations have you covered so far? I believe I've covered... 275. Only Brooklyn and Manhattan so far. Do you have plans to expand to the other boroughs? <laughs> I do. Um, I'm hoping to do Queens or Bronx next year and then the last borough the year after that. How many hours would you say you have so far spent on the subway doing this project? Um, it's been, I want to say around 40 hours just, you know, riding and waiting for the train itself. And then the time I spent illustrating, I didn't even track that. So those are just countless hours. How was documenting stations in Brooklyn any different than documenting stations in Manhattan? Yeah, so the ones in Brooklyn, they're just, um, at the station itself, you'll notice the crowds, it's not as crowded. 
for one. Um, a lot of places I've never been to before, so doing this project gave me a good reason to take the train out and ride out to somewhere I would never usually go. And the time I did it, I guess it was in between the morning rush but before the evening rush, so a couple of stations I would just be the only person there, so that was a little strange. What's your favorite subway station sign? Overall, I, I had to stick to Bleecker just because that's the pr- uh, first sign that inspired me to create this project. But there's a couple other ones. Um, I like Borough Hall, and then I like the Crown Heights just because it's such a strange and odd um, sign. It's like a rocket ship with a moon man, which I don't know. It's just, you know, compared to all the other ones, it doesn't even make sense. Do you know the history of that? Why? That one I don't know the history of, unfortunately. But you do include a factoid about each station you feature on your blog, right? Correct. So for each station, I wanted to, you know, have the user engage on that page a little bit longer. So besides just seeing the sign for that station, I included a little factoid that they can read. Um, I kept them really short, just a, it's a quick read, and then you can move on. I did use Wiki a lot just to see what was going on. If there wasn't anything interesting, then I researched the station and see what else I could pull up. A lot of it, I would try to include pop culture references, such as if this movie was in, or this station was in a movie, or if an artist performed at the station for a music video, things like that, just to make it more interesting. Right. For example, the Bergen station located on the F line has an unused lower level that can be seen in the 1990 horror film Jacob's Ladder. Correct. Now, the Avenue M station located on the Q line in Brooklyn has a brick house located under the tracks. Yes, from what I read, that's what it has. Incredible. What surprised you most in doing this? Any particular aspect? That surprised me. I think what surprised me was just how many stations are listed as the National National Registry of Historic Places in New York City. Uh, a lot of these subways, they're very old, obviously, but I think there's a good amount, maybe near 10 or so, that are actually uh, registered as a historic landmark. Yeah, no doubt. There are a lot of interesting facts about subway stations in New York City. There is a station that has stairs that leads to the underground shopping arcade of 666 Fifth Avenue, and that's Fifth Avenue and 53rd Street on the E-Line in Manhattan. And then there is a station that's been called the heart of the BMT, DeKalb Avenue on the Q-Line, and the station that can be seen in the video game Rock Band, Morgan Avenue on the L-Line, right? Yes, so if you play the game Rock Band, um, you know, the one with the guitar that hooks up PlayStation or Xbox, then that scene does make an appearance. That station makes an appearance in the game. Did you come across any misspellings or other mistakes on subway signs? There was one sign, I'm not sure the exact one, but I did recall that the way they spelled it, they left out, I think it was an E. So there was a certain reason why they left it out and it was misspelled on the actual sign versus if you go on the MTA website or if you look at the subway map it's there's a there should be two e's but there's only one e so how has reaction been to this project uh the reaction's been great um i've gotten luckily a lot of press which is really like humbling and just exciting to get but just outside of that i've gotten also a lot of reaction from people that are just fans of New York, you know, fans of history, art that emailed me. And they're just like, oh, a lot of this brings back memories from when I used to live in New York. And it's so great to see this sign 
So things like that, I think the more sentimental things are really, um, it's really like humbling to hear. You're essentially creating a virtual subway ride, if you will, right? Correct, basically, yeah. So, I mean, for me, like I said, the signs are something that's really interesting. And I think it's a big part of the, the subway is a big part of New York history. So I think for people to be able to see that, whether you live in New York or if you've been here or if you want to visit or you haven't had the chance to come yet, you know, you could still sort of take this virtual ride of the New York subway online. Where are you from, Adam? Originally, I grew up in Florida and then moved to New York for work. So as someone who didn't grow up in New York City, do you think you have a different appreciation for the subway than those of us who did? I think I do. Um, part of it, my wife like gives me slack all the time is because I freelance, so I work from home as well. So I don't deal with the crowd, the morning crowd, or the evening rush as often as most people. But um, I, for me, I do like riding on a train. It's just interesting just to people watch and uh, to see what's going on. There's always someone trying to perform on there. or you know, There's a lot of interesting things on a train. Adam Chang, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, George. Adam Chang is a freelance art director and designer. You'll find his guide to New York City subway signs at nytrainproject.com. No doubt New York City's underground is a place of endless discovery, including of unique musical performances. Enter Natalia Peruse. She's known throughout the subway system as the Saw Lady. It's a nickname she got from the tools she plays. I've been playing the saw for about 20 years. Playing the saw is not something that your mother would send you to school for. Uh, Like most saw players, I saw someone else performing, and that was my inspiration. How respected is the saw? That's an interesting question. Um, I think that respect is growing for this instrument. Um, A lot of people think of it as um, either just a gimmick Uh, something that you can just make sound effects with, or people associate it only with country music. But the truth is that the saw is a musical instrument just like any other, and you can play any style of music on it. You can play serious music on it, uh, you know, contemporary music. and um, So I, I think that respect is growing for it. It is true that I do have some difficulty in introducing it to composers and orchestras, which is part of my work, because oftentimes they sort of have a, let's call it a prejudice against it. They think that it's going to sound a certain way, so it's hard for me to get them to agree to just take a listen. But every time, without fail, if they do take a listen, they always say to me, it sounds completely different than what we imagined. Because people think that it would sound like cutting wood, but it doesn't. It sounds so angelic and and, and otherworldly. That all said, you have performed in big concert halls, but here you are at the 42nd Street subway station playing the saw. How come? Playing in the subway is my favorite thing to do in the world. It is true, I have played at Lincoln Center and uh, Madison Square Garden and um, Carnegie Hall. And it's all fun, but it's a totally different experience. When you're playing on a stage, 
you are up there with lights in your eyes, the audience is down there in the dark, you don't really see them. It's as if there is a glass wall between you and your audience. And it gets a little lonely. Whereas in the subway, people are right here with you. I can see the transformation on their faces as they're listening to me play. They come and talk to me. There's a real exchange of energy. And it's just addictive. So you're not necessarily out here for the money. You're out here for the enjoyment? That is um, uh, something that a lot of people uh, uh, think of erroneously. They think that musicians who play in the subway do so because they have to. A lot of people think that people who play in the subway are not good enough to play elsewhere. They can't get gigs elsewhere, and that is why they play in the subway. Uh, a lot of people think that subway musicians are homeless, jobless, but it is, it is truly not so. A lot of the people who play in the subway also play all over the place and let's call it legitimate gigs. And true buskers, the ones that you see year after year in the, in the subways or in the streets, they do it because they want to do it. They love doing it. How long have you been busking now in New York City? Probably about... 18 and a half years. That's a pretty long time. What has that taught you about yourself? What has busking taught you about yourself as an individual, as a performer? I learned a lot from busking. Um, first of all, technique-wise, I would have never gotten to be as proficient with my instrument if it wasn't for playing in the subway. In the old days, uh, musicians had the vaudeville circuit, which allowed them to repeat the same repertoire to many audiences and therefore get better. Today, with television and the internet, uh, you play a piece once and that's it, it's done. Everybody's already seen it. So you don't get the chance to hone your craft, but the subway still allows that. Another thing which the subway taught me is about people and how I relate to people. I used to be very shy, but playing in the subway sort of forced me to come out of my shyness because when you play in the subway people come to you and they they start talking to you and it just it, it brings you out um, I used to be scared of people um, sometimes I would see someone approaching me and I would think oh this person looks scary is he gonna do something bad to me is he gonna try to steal from me 99.9% .9 of the time, the scariest looking people turned out to be the nicest, sweetest people with a heart of gold. So playing in the subway taught me to never judge anybody by the way they look. So it's taught you something about others as well as about yourself. Absolutely. It's, a, it's the best school ever. Natalia, guitarists often put out a guitar case for people to throw spare change in. What do you use as the saw lady? Well, since uh, the case that I use for my saw is a guns case, because it's the only thing that would fit the shape of the instrument. A guns case, huh? It's a sports gun case. It's sort of the reverse of the um, old Chicago gangsters joke, where the gangsters used to put um, um, rifles in musical instrument cases. I do the opposite. I put a musical instrument in a gun case. Um, so I don't put that in front of me, um, even though it gets me a lot of respect on the street. Um, I put a bucket in front of me, which I painted gold, um, and that is my uh, donations box. How well do you do on any typical day? 
You know, it used to be uh, lucrative up to, let's say, the year 2000, during the period of time when the dot-com bubble was here, it was great times. But when the dot-com bubble burst, uh, you know, the economy started going down, you feel it all the way down to, to the subway. And then after 9-11, forget it. So today, I have friends who don't even bother putting a donations box in front of them. It's, it's all about CD sell selling. And um, you have your CDs here. Yes. Um, playing in the subway is really more... My, my father jokes about it. He says it's my office because this is where I do all my, um, all my uh, interacting with people, all my uh, networking. Uh, it's a great place for um, getting fans, like advertising your gigs. Um, you never know who might be walking by. It's like a perpetual audition. So uh, what you really get out of it is that. I mean, that's... What do you think of people who stand by here for a while and listen to you play and never throw anything in your bucket? I don't expect people to uh, uh, give money. Not everybody can. And the beauty of busking is that you share your music for free in the moment with people. Uh, a lot of people can't afford not only to give you a donation, but they can't afford to uh, go to uh, the concert hall to hear uh, music. A lot of people don't have the time to go to the concert hall, so you're bringing music to the people. What does annoy me is when people stand by me for an extended period of time filming or recording, and then they just walk away. Um, again, it's not necessarily the money, it's the respect. Uh, they treat buskers as if we are on television, as if we're not live people. You know, if, when people ask for my permission to take my picture, I always say yes. Um, or even, you know, when you're done filming, just like do a thumbs up or like, you know, say thank you or smile or nod at the musician. That's all, just, you know, basic human respect. What beside money have people thrown in your bucket? People put all sorts of things in my bucket. My favorite is when they write notes, little notes, and put them in my bucket. Um, one person wrote a whole poem and put it in my bucket. Um, people put all sorts of um, artwork that they did. Some people put CDs. Um, I got quite a few watches, brand new, in their cases. Um, oh, one time, a guy was standing uh, next to me for a long time, and I, it was obvious that he was enjoying it. So I was sure that he was going to come by and, and do something. It really surprised me when he just walked away. And I thought, huh, that's weird. Five minutes later, he returned with a bouquet of flowers. That totally made my day. You know, when people put money in my donations box, of course, money is greatly appreciated. It's very useful. But I would use it and then it would be gone. Whereas all those gifts that people put in my donations box, I would keep I keep them forever. How many hours a day do you typically spend down here playing the saw? I usually play in the subway three times a week and each time a minimum of three hours, uh, sometimes up to six hours of nonstop playing. Do you take requests? 
You know, what's interesting is that people never ask me to play songs that um, just out of the blue. They always ask me to play something that they've already heard me play before. For example, children will come and ask me to play the Harry Potter theme. Um, a lot of times people come and tell me that their friend or relative is in the hospital. Would I please play Ave Maria for them? So it's nice because people make requests out of things that they've already heard me play before. So it tells me that they pay attention. What pop tune do you play that people really know very well and get into? There is one pop tune which I learned to play especially for the subway because so many people have asked me to play it. Uh, they told me, oh, I think this would sound really good on the saw. And this is the theme from the Titanic movie. Natalia Peruse plays the saw in the New York City subway system. You'll often find her at the Times Square, Union Square, and Herald Square stations. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Bodarki. You can get past editions of the show at any time at wfuv.org slash cityscape or subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. We hope you'll connect with us there as well. It's WFUV and WFUV HD New York. Listener-supported public media from Fordham, the Jesuit University of New York. Music discovery starts here.